All right, here we go. We're live. All right. Awesome, man. Hey, so yeah, uh, great to great to have you. I'm uh, glad we're getting to have this conversation. Uh, I don't know how these normally go for you. Like if you have a, like a flow that you want to do for like stuff on your end or. Yeah. I mean, really with, with these conversations, the way we've been having them with our customers is we, we really want to hear about your journey into Bitcoin, how you got interested in Bitcoin and then Bitcoin mining, and then kind of let the conversation just flow from there. All right, perfect. Well, then I'll just lead off with that. And then, you know, I'll throw in some of my questions along the way. Um, how do, so like most people, I've had to find Bitcoin a couple of times. Uh, I think the first time I heard about it was when Silk Road hit the news. I don't know. Was that like 2014, 2015, something like that? And uh, I kind of had a, a, a real, real basic idea. You know, like there was this weird internet money out there, uh, but I didn't really pay any attention and, you know, caught all the the negative press, you know, from Silk Road. Obviously, everyone got that um, and didn't really didn't really put too much thought into it. But that was the first time I heard about it. And then early 2017, I don't remember how it came across my desk. I think one of my friends like kind of mentioned it to me and uh, at my job, I get a lot of downtime. So I, I'm always doing research and I'm always learning about new things. And, you know, every now and again, something sparks my interest and I end up going down the rabbit hole. Uh, so I've been doing the Bitcoin rabbit hole now for like, I don't know, five or six years or whatever it's been. And it's, it's a never ending hole. So just all the time. Um, I, uh, I didn't invest in Bitcoin at all. I don't really like using that word, but I didn't start using Bitcoin at all until like September of 2017, for about six months. I like did research and kind of figured out how like blocks worked and what blockchain was and all that other stuff. Um, and then, you know, it was just little, little small bits here and there, a couple dollars here and there, uh, just trying to like play around with it. Not really thinking it was anything. Uh, I think it was, you know, a couple thousand dollars at the time. I, I want to say my first investment was, uh, was about $5,000 right before that bull run happened. And then when that bull run happened, like everything went nuts and I couldn't get enough content. I couldn't listen to enough people talk about it. I couldn't watch enough videos. Um, I, I was hooked from that day forward. And, you know, like most people, I showed up for the Lambos and stayed for the revolution. Uh, so now, you know, several years into it, uh, I, I really focus on how hard money and, uh, and like the decentralized nature of Bitcoin is going to re-incentivize everything, especially, you know, things like politics and, uh, you know, governance and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's where I'm at now. Like now I'm in love with that stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, everyone wants to live that YOLO life and like get rich and all that other stuff too. But I'm just excited for how it's going to change everything. The more I've learned about Bitcoin, the more I've learned how messed up the other systems are. It was something I never really paid attention to. I never knew how money worked. I never knew how central banking worked. Um, and then, yeah, so now I'm uh, obviously getting involved with you guys with mining, which is a perfect like melding of the two things that I'm passionate about right now. My day job is a power plant operator. So I'm all about the grid. I'm all about generation. I'm all about grid stability and, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of like using energy is bad. Doesn't make sense to me. You know, every time we've, every time mankind has had like a, an explosion of, of, you know, culture and growth and tech and all that other stuff, it's because energy has become abundant. Right. So 
we need to have better ways of making energy abundant. And that's like what my day job is. And then you mix that with Bitcoin and, you know, re-incentivizing everything on the planet because money touches everything. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a great meld for how my brain works. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at right now. A hundred percent. Hearing your story, it, it's interesting because I feel like every single person, Bitcoin can touch like everyone's lives in some type of way. Your story mm-hmm. actually reminds me almost like a mix of mine and Kent's who I know you've spoken with before, who, who's our uh, president and COO at SAS Mining. But, uh, you know, I, I can give a quick intro about my background into it as well. So yeah, please. Uh, ever since I, I was young, I've been like a builder, like an entrepreneur through and through. If there was something to, to build, I at some point probably tried to build it. And uh, as I got older, I was always just drawn to technology. And so when I first heard about Bitcoin and really started looking into it, it was because of some of my buddies that uh, had gotten involved with Bitcoin. And uh, this was like the super early days of Ethereum. I was building a different technology company and they're like, "Will you got to check this out. At the time, I was in a weird kind of place because I wasn't sure. I mean, you've probably felt this as well, where it, the logical decision is one thing, but your heart's pulling you towards another. And it made no logical sense that from where I was at the time to go and drop what I was doing to pursue what eventually became SAS mining. But I just knew I wanted to get involved. And similar to you is like when I first got involved, my understanding of all this was like bare bones compared to where it is today. And I'm sure that I'm going to look back in four or five years and think it's bare bones today compared to where it's going to be. Because I feel like Bitcoin just takes you on such an interesting journey where uh you know, it relates to energy, it relates to philosophy, it relates to the monetary system, it relates to just inequality and and so many different pieces that anyone can kind of jump in on. And one of the big ones that I had no idea about was just the conversation around energy and then this whole environmental debate, looking into it. And that's been taking a lot of uh, my brain space at this point in time. But right now, I mean, a lot of my time is uh, with Kent in a big way is like my right hand man is we're trying to find the best way to build up this, this organization. And uh, yeah, really grateful to have you as a customer. And I think it really is at that intersection that you see between uh, the, the monetary side and then the energy side. And I think just Bitcoin mining just brings the two together so beautifully, uh, particularly uh, in a way that Bitcoin mining, I feel like a lot of people today have not yet fully grasped the implications that this is going to have on the energy sector. And uh, you, I mean, you, you definitely have a pretty good understanding of that considering your, your day job and your understanding of Bitcoin. But that's one of the things I'm most excited about today. I mean, we're already seeing really exciting developments in Texas with that exact thing, you know, because Texas has their own little grid. And um, yeah, it's really exciting stuff. So I've always worked in uh, green energy. Uh, I, I joined the military and I was a, a nuclear power plant operator on a submarine and that transitioned really nicely into civilian nuclear power, which I consider green energy. I guess it depends on how you feel about nuclear power. Um, And then I worked for solar thermal and now I work for hydro and, you know, I love them all or whatever. And that's actually the thing that attracted me to SAS mining the most is, you know, how your business model is aligned with like my personal, um, the, the way I view the world. Obviously I care about, you know, greenhouse gases and I care about grid stability and, and all these other things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it seems like a perfect fit for me. So I'm super happy to have found you guys. I think I found you guys uh, through Kent, 
I follow a channel called uh, Crypto Tips. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of those guys. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he did a couple of guest, you know, conversations on there a few times. And I really liked the stuff that he had to say. So I started following him. And then as soon as you and him got together, obviously, I kept track of that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a great journey watching you guys grow. Like you guys have really blown up in the last year. Yeah, I feel like everyone is just kind of like Bitcoin. Everyone's their own node in a network. And yeah. I mean, it's a funny story. The way that Kent and I got connected was Ken, as you probably know, his entire background is in the solar industry. And there was someone that he used to work with who hosts one of the top solar podcasts. And in the early days of Bitcoin mining, going back to the earlier days of SAS mining as well, we were really focused on the energy side. I mean, similar to what you mentioned earlier, you inevitably are going to have the collision between these industries in a bigger and bigger way. But we we're saying this back in 2018. And so I connected with Benoit on the podcast. Kent knew Benoit from when they were both in the solar industry. And I was on there talking about Bitcoin mining, like the first guy on there talking about mining. And and Kent reached out to Benoit saying, hey, uh, can you put me in touch with Will? And, you know, fast forward. And now Kent's, uh, you know, here at SAS Mining and Benoit is one of our advisors. So it's just crazy to see like how, how everything ties together in one way or another. Yeah. And it fills this perfect role. You know, the development of green energy has been difficult because it, in the beginning, um, in the beginning stages of the tech, you know, it re basically required subsidies in order to get it to where it can be profitable on its own, uh, you know, and then let capitalism run with it. But Bitcoin does that in a free market kind of way without having to get like government fingers and all that other stuff in there. Cause the reason why green energy is, so unreliable is because it makes power when it wants to, not when we need it. Um, and you know, our, obviously our battery storage technology is terrible. So if we can monetize that through the form of mining, like it's win-win for everyone. And then, you know, you talk about having like grids in Africa developing, you know, where everyone's got a cell phone, but you know, nobody's got a refrigerator. So, you know, you don't have the load demand. How are you going to build a power plant out there when there's nobody there to buy it? Um, you know, you start putting grids out there, you start putting uh, mining operations out there that act as your first customer. And then, you know, the market self-regulates as demand goes up and the price goes up, Bitcoin miners move away. So it's just like, it's like, it's a beautiful, like symbiotic relationship. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah. It's so crazy because a, a lot of the people who are attacking Bitcoin mining, they don't understand energy or mining in a deep way. And it's right. very easy to make straw man arguments to attack something. But when you actually talk to the people who are on the ground, who are building these things, and you realize that this is the perfect solution, as you mentioned, Renewable energy, these are intermittent power sources. The sun's not shining 24 hours a day. The wind's not always blowing. And as a power provider, you got to be able to account for peak demand times, right? You can't just have it where people suddenly are, have their lights not working, right? It's like you, these are things that you got to plan around. And as you mentioned, Bitcoin mining in a beautiful way just ties it all together where it can consume energy, contribute to the Bitcoin network and all of its beauty and amazing properties, but then simultaneously shut off on a dime and make the grid more efficient or any system that you implement it with. And that's something that I, I never ever thought that I'd be diving down the rabbit hole of energy the way that I did until Bitcoin and then until Bitcoin mining. And I think that, uh, I mean, a lot of people put out bold predictions, but I think that a lot of people would look at you if you were absolutely nuts if 10 years ago you were saying what the world looks like today in regards to Bitcoin. And I think that this isn't a technology that's going to slow down. I think that these wild predictions that you hear from people today, uh, people like probably you and myself, we're going to look back in 10 years and 
see, wow, you know, I think we hit the nail on the head on some of these things that people used to look at us like we were crazy about. Yep. Yep. And I, I also think another cool thing, it's a little bit like off the wall, but I was thinking about it recently is, you know, for solar energy, uh, you know, I, I happen to live in the Southwest, so we have great solar here, but compared to the Arctics, you know, they have, you know, sunshine for like 120 days in a row or something like that with like, you know, no night, you know, just depends on what time of year. So I, I was just thinking it would be so cool, you know, to, to repurpose these ocean tankers, you know, these massive tankers that ship oil all over the world as our oil dependency, you know, hopefully diminishes in time and then just line them with uh, solar power and Bitcoin miners and then, you know, Starlink satellite or whatever. That's all you need. You could have these like remote massive tankers that just float around and they just get sunlight 24 hours a day. And, you know, for the five and a half months, they're up in like Alaska or whatever. And then they go down to like Argentina for like the next five and a half months. And it's just like full power all the time, just like chugging away. You know, I, mean, I don't, I don't know if that's even like economically feasible, but there's going to be so many like crazy things that happen in the next 20 years that we can't even like come up with now. I'm just, yeah, it's, it's going to be good times. Yeah. Well, one of the things that has really been capturing my mind a lot recently is just this whole conversation around methane. And so as you dive into this whole conversation of global warming, you realize that, yes, carbon dioxide is awful for the environment. It's a big problem and we should try and fix it. But methane is 84 times worse for the environment than carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And right now, there's no feasible solution to the methane problem. And if we put you in the shoes of an oil executive or let's say someone with a well that's leaking methane, what are your options? Well, you can either let it continue to pollute. That's clearly very bad for global warming. Or you could pay over $100,000 to plug up that well. Both of your options in this scenario, really, they just are not good options. Now, enter Bitcoin mining. Instead of having it leak or paying $100,000 to plug a well, you can turn that methane, that pollution, into electricity for Bitcoin mining. And so now, all of a sudden, you just brought in and introduced an economic incentive where you, as the energy executive that's leaking methane, your liability just turned into an asset. Now that is just such a powerful force, just like how you mentioned earlier, you know, come in for the Lambo, stay for the revolution. Right. I mean, this is such a powerful economic incentive that incentivizes to clean up executives and people around the world to clean up this methane problem. And so I think that this is one of my bold predictions that I think we're starting to see the sea play out, but we're getting a firsthand look uh, on the inside of the hood at SAS Mining. The, the prediction is, is that with all of these ESG initiatives, once these guys figure out how environmentally friendly Bitcoin mining is, once they realize that Bitcoin mining is the key innovation to renewable energy and reducing pollution, you're going to see loads and loads of capital from these capital allocators flow into the miners that are actually cleaning up the planet. And, uh, you know, it's very early days in this, but we're in a lot of conversations like that. And my prediction is that over the next 10 years, you're going to see Bitcoin mining as one of the strongest forces around the world to help clean up the planet. Absolutely. And, you know, because of free market economics, it's always going to be profitable, right? Because they're always going to move to where it's 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 just it's great. Uh, so talking about methane, um, I wanted to ask you about that specifically because, you know, obviously been following SAS for a while. And uh, I think on the start engine campaign, which I'd also like you to talk about a little bit in a minute, but I think you talked about, um, you know, the future of, of methane emissions and all that other stuff. And I know right now, currently, at least to my knowledge, uh, uh, all of the uh, uh, generation that you're using is hydro. 
so mm-hmm. is there a game plan for actually getting this methane? I know there's a couple other companies that have like landfill rigs or, you know, oil rigs for like natural gas or like whatever. Uh, what's the, what's the SAS game plan with all that? Yeah, great question. I'm happy we touched on this. So yes, you're correct. Uh, right now our focus, we're hundred percent on hydropower. And at the end of the day, as you mentioned with mining, the keys outside of your entry price on the mining rig is actually the cheapest form of energy. And the cheapest form of energy is energy that's excess or pollution really. And so on the methane side, we're trying to identify uh, well-run sites that are powered by methane or renewable energy. And we've got our sites on quite a few. Uh, so we're excited to finally get those to fruition and, and advertise those to the public. But he's going to come up again. Kent has been doing a great job speaking with a lot of these sites. And uh, our goal really is to put forth the best deals that we can find with our expertise in mining for the customers. Uh, Because at the end of the day, that was the big thing that we came in and saw was, you know, no one was taking that approach where they could be a good, transparent, trustworthy customer or partner to the customer. It's like we wanted to go in and say, hey, we got to bring the best of Web2 as well as bringing customer first approach, because that's what's going to open the floodgates into Bitcoin mining. Like when you think about it, who are the strongest people in terms of incentives for Bitcoin? Obviously the Bitcoin holders, but the miners are the ones that are really the bedrock of the entire network. Mm-hmm. And you can go on to Coinbase today and buy Bitcoin. That's no problem. It's it's easy to get exposure, but there's no easy way for uh, before SAS mining for people to actually begin mining Bitcoin. So uh, you know that's what we've tried to do is blend those where it's easy for people to participate in uh, carbon negative or environmentally friendly Bitcoin mining. And um, yeah, in terms of the sites, uh, stay tuned and, and you'll be kept up to date with all the upcoming uh, right, projects you got going on. Fair enough. It's very exciting. Um, all right. So getting back to the start engine uh, program, you raised a bunch of money. Uh, I was curious a couple of things. What's the intention uh, for that? And then there's also a mention about a, um, letter of intent, like a $10 million letter of intent. Uh, how, how's that going to work and what's the intention with that? Yeah. So this is what, um, I think ties back to our conversation earlier that I'm very excited about. So first the start engine campaign, what we've done is we've, uh, just like how we're trying to make it easy for anyone to mine Bitcoin. We want to democratize ownership and SAS mining's cap table. So right now, this is really the last chance that we saw that anyone around the world who's a non-accredited investor could go and participate in owning part of SAS mining. Uh, because as you mentioned, we got the letter of intents. Uh, there's the $10 million one and the $25 million one. Uh, if people want to check out uh, some more details about the campaign and everything else, unfortunately, there are rules that I'm not allowed to talk about the exact deal terms of the campaign. But if you go on to startengine.com slash SAS mining, uh, you can look at our campaign page and it'll lay out all the information about the raise. But uh, in terms of the capital allocation and these LOIs and everything else that we see uh, pushing forward, a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, there's a lot of capital that has to flow into ESG type investments. And although I don't like the umbrella term ESG, it's in a funny way um, allowing the Bitcoin network to benefit from, you know, the the policies that are going on out there that unfortunately are eroding free market capitalism. But at the end of the day, um, I think it's kind of funny that it's going to end up benefiting a lot of the Bitcoin miners around the world. 
Yeah, it really just goes in hand with everything else. Like it say anything you want, it's good for Bitcoin, right? It's <laughs> it's it's really crazy how everything works out that way. I'll um, tell you a funny story. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. So, um, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll say it anyway. So, um, if you say anything going, you can, I can I can edit it. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I, we we can keep it in. So the, the when we're going and trying to convince, because okay, we're talking to traditional finance guys to try and teach them about Bitcoin. And like some of these guys to their, to in their defense, they know more than some people give them credit for. They're not, you know, just closing their eyes, walking through the world. Like they, they understand the general idea of what it is that we're doing, but we really open their eyes to the environmental aspects. Like this whole conversation, like the first part of this podcast, a lot of these guys hadn't heard these conversations before. And when you look at them and you see a click all of a sudden they're like eyes light up because Bitcoin mining is like a massive solution for cleaning up the environment. And when they realize that they want to participate, but there's simultaneously so much stigma around digital assets, Bitcoin, and everything that's been happening with these blowups in the industry that these guys want to invest, but they simultaneously don't want to invest. And it's to the point where they say, look, we know exactly what you guys are doing and we love it and we think it's environmentally friendly, but we just don't want to say Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining. So just like, let's say data processing and then that can, that'll work and we can fund right. that. We just don't want to see Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining, even though it's the exact same activity. It's like all optics and window dressing. And it is pretty silly when you think about it, but um, it at the end of the day, it's, it's hard to deny the facts you know at the end of the day the facts what was it facts don't care about your feelings like at the end yep. of the day the fact is that bitcoin mining is good for the environment good for renewable energy and people can not like that and they can be upset about it but if it's helping clean up the planet it's helping human flourishing and it's helping make a more stable energy grid then it's something that should be pursued <laughs> absolutely totally agree um all right so you talked about decentralizing bitcoin miners uh, when, are, when are you going to get on, uh, Nostra? Have so actually I just got on Nostra. It took oh, me way too nice. long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had had people ask so many times and I kept pushing it off and eventually I was like, I got to go, I got to get this done. And, um, I, I haven't posted yet though. That's the thing. I, I was just getting everything set up. I didn't want to, you know, all right, well, we'll find you. All right. I'm, I'm still it? figuring it out. I still have to set up my, um, what is it? The, not the public key, but the, um, what is, what is that the other verified key thing? Yeah. Yeah. I got to get verified and everything. I haven't done any of that yet. All right, all right. All right. Is it, is it your personal one or is it, is it one for SAS or both coming? Um, just mine. I think okay. that the SAS one is in the works. Um, I was just using like Albi to get mine set up. Um, yeah, I did the same. Yeah. I'm by no means an expert. I, I went like, I'd been reading about it for a while and then I just went online, did, went through like a hour long tutorial and got everything set up. We were actually talking about it in the telegram this morning and we'll talk about that in a second too. Um, yeah. but I'm really excited, you know, being open source software and, you know, anyone can start just plugging away, just start building whatever you want. And we already have a whole bunch of different clients that run it and all this other stuff. Um, you know, someone, someone in the chat was talking about, uh, you know, once Twitter gets cleaned up, do you think it's going to have a resurgence? And I just, I just don't think any, you know, centralized company is going to be able to keep up with the open software of everyone. And, you know, everyone who's got a computer who, who wants to, you know, work at it 
is going to work at it. Just like with Bitcoin and with Lightning and all this other stuff, it's going to be so hard for you know the Twitters and the Facebooks or whatever to keep up with the innovation that happens. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of garbage made, but the market will decide and they just won't use it. And then the stuff that does get implemented and used, everyone's going to adopt and it's going to get shared. And like, it's going to, I think it's going to like be exponential, you know, in the same way that, that Bitcoin is. I'm excited about yeah. it. So I'm actually really excited to learn from you because it sounds like you've dove down this, uh, like down this, this rabbit hole a lot deeper than I have. A little bit. Um, Cause so I, I agree in the sense that I completely think that open source always outcompetes, you know, non-open source if, especially in like this type of an application. But my question is, is when I was going through it, I was seeing, it seems like there are so many different places and like uh, different places where you can kind of have all of your posts going up. Right? Yeah. And and my question is how you think that that's going to evolve over time? Because right now it seems like very early days, there are just so many different, um, for lack of the better term right now, I guess for me saying like platforms, yeah. so like there's so many different places where you can actually engage with and start posting. And yes, I, I think it's genius. You got this central hub where it'll update to every single place where you post. But I, I'm just curious as to how you think people can, will continue to interact with, with it over time. Like, how do you see this growing? Um, well, I, w- I want to say one thing first. I'm stealing this from another podcaster. I don't remember who it is, but I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago and they were talking about kind of the same thing about it's confusing. You know, you have Domus on iOS and then you have um, mm-hmm. Snort, you know, on your, on your PC. And then you, there's like, like 15 different and yeah, yeah. yeah, all these things. And the way they explained it, which made brilliant sense to me is it's just like a podcast. You come up with a podcast and then you put it out on your RSS feed and that goes everywhere. And you might listen to that on Apple. You might listen to that on Spotify. You might listen to that on Substack. You could listen to a hundred different places and each one of those platforms is going to um, illustrate the same podcast. You're going to listen to the same podcast, but they're going to have slightly different features. Uh, mm. You know, one of them might let you do fast forward times two. One of them, you know, d- might have different layouts. One of them might have different comment sections. Uh, and all that's going to be different, even though you're consuming the same content. And I think that that's a good way to think about what's going on with uh, Noster because you know you it doesn't matter which platform you use to upload or to view or whatever, everyone's seeing the same stuff, just in a slightly different version. So I think that what we're going to see is as these uh, different applications get developed, just like with features, you're going to see the market decide which ones they like. And maybe there'll be some people who like a Facebook looking version of it. Maybe there'll be some people who like a Twitter looking version. Um, And maybe, you know, there'll be a clubhouse kind of version and there'll be all these clones of all these things that we're used to. And then new things are going to develop that we're not used to. And something new and exciting is going to come out of that. And it's all going to have that same, you know, like RSS feed. But it's just going to be a totally new, like, user interface and different experience that probably some 12-year-old in Ethiopia is going to code, you know, on his weekend when he's bored. (laughs) And, like, it's going to blow the world away. You know, like, it's going to be something exciting like that. So I I think, uh, you know, just like with Lightning, as you have all these different people plugging away at the same thing and, and developing, I mean, look what Jack Maulers is doing. I mean, I know strikes a company or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Jack Dorsey and like all the Jacks, um, everyone, <laughs> everyone's making all this really exciting stuff and, you know, some of it's going to stick, some of it's not. Um, but the stuff that does stick is just going to like, when you have 
when you have, you know, millions of people working on the same thing, but all with unique, different thoughts, uh, it's, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to go wrong in the long run. So, uh, one of the things I was saying when we were talking about that Twitter conversation this morning on, uh, on telegram was, you know, if you want to make a change at Twitter, let's say you're the guy who's going to develop a thing or the, the girl, not trying to be sexist, um, who's going to develop the thing that's going to like save Twitter or make social media good or like whatever. Well, if you want to change Twitter, first thing you have to do is apply to get a job at Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big barrier to entry. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, you have to go be the new person there and convince all the executives that, you know, you're the new employee with a great idea and they should listen to you. Good luck with that. You know, mm-hmm. but on a on a decentralized open source, you know, anything, you can just make it. Just put it out there. If people like it, they'll use it. And if they don't, they don't. You know, like and it's just it's it makes it the barrier to entry to to save the world, for lack of better terms is is so much lower so you're gonna have so many more people doing the work which yeah it's yeah, just proof of work right there yeah that's incredible i know that's not a really great answer good, for you, but oh no i i think it is a great answer um i i hadn't thought about that uh well i hadn't thought about the the benefits of the open having open source development but in terms of where people post from, I guess at the end of the day, it is kind of like that, like podcast to, you know, being distributed to all these different platforms. You can use whichever platform you want. Uh, that's fascinating. I, I'm going to have to beef up my profile a little bit. <laughs> you yeah, know, I, I got gotta, everything running. I got like the name and, and the profile set up, but I got to start, I guess I, I got to start posting from there. Yeah. Really yeah I got to start engaging too and, and find some more people to follow and, and all that stuff. I'll put links yeah. to all that stuff. Right yeah. I'll, I'll toss you my, uh, my, my pub key. So anyone right, who wants to, wants to interact with, with me on Oster can come on and join the party. <laughs> nice. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. So back to telegram, uh, just about back to SAS mining. One of my favorite things about your company, aside from the, you know, green energy initiatives and all that other stuff, which obviously is a foundational piece, but I love the telegram channel. I love how like it feels like such a small community and every time I've ever had a problem or anyone else has ever had a problem, they just type it in the, and then somebody within usually an hour, but within a day or so is going to get on there. And, you know, I've, I've talked with Keegan and like a whole bunch of different people about different issues and different whatever. And then, you know, obviously we interact amongst each other because that's, you know, how Bitcoiners do. But I just I love how how um, tight of a group it is. And I love how easy it is to get a hold of you guys if something's not like well, it was a couple of weeks ago the affiliate links were getting changed around and somebody jumped in there and was like hey my link's not working and then i jumped in there and i was like yeah mine's not either uh and then you know within like an hour it was fixed it was like oh here's your <laughs> new link and i was just like man if i ever called coinbase with something like that you know what i mean i know obviously, <laughs> like, oh my gosh that's it's so funny i'll let you finish sorry and i'll tell you tell a story after <laughs> no, yeah, I, I was just saying that it's been a really really refreshing experience you know i'm I'm just very used to whenever you need customer service of any variety like you know just start pulling out your fingernails before you even start because might as well like, yeah it's been really nice yeah thank, thank you so much that's great to hear and you know that's i think that in large part, it's due to everyone at the company being very passionate about what it is we're building. Um, it's not like people just showing up for a paycheck, which I think you see a lot, uh, 
And unfortunately, large amount of people around the world, like go into jobs where they're not super passionate. They mm-hmm. don't feel like they have a mission or a purpose. I feel like at, at Bitcoin companies in particular, you see just the percentage of people who are in the company being very passionate about it. And that's actually one of the big things we screen for. Uh, and we've got like multiple areas within our interview process where we're really trying to see, okay, is this person truly passionate about it? Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who can do a job. There are a lot of very smart people. Um, but but if you are building a company for a particular uh, purpose and you want to achieve something, then it really helps to have everyone be super passionate about it. So um, I think that, that, for example, you mentioned Keegan. Uh, first off, the guy's not only just a genius, but one of the guys who's deepest into Bitcoin, into lightning that I've ever, ever met in my life. And, you know, same thing with just everyone on the team, like Ken, um, you know, every single person is just super passionate about what it is we're doing. So I think that they just, they have fun just going and having those conversations like the ones this morning. And then the customers, like you guys are like unbelievable. I mean, someone, uh, after that, that, uh, conversation in the telegram group this morning, Someone, uh, I think it was, yeah, Trey DM'd me and he was uh, talking about some ways that Nostra could be like utilized within SAS mining, like just coming up with great ideas just out of nowhere, almost like open sourcing the ideas on on the concept of Nostra. And so it's just like incredible, very fun to be a part of. And um, it is the opposite of other potential customer service. Uh, I mean, like I've dealt with customer service from a lot of different companies and the one that you mentioned, it's just like, oh my God, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Sometimes trying to like, it, it is literally like pulling teeth where it's like, how can you have a customer and they reach out like multiple times and you just don't even respond? It's, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. And I mean, we're lucky granted. I mean, those companies are larger. They've got, you know, many more customers, so it's more difficult, but, uh, like our goal is no matter what, make sure that we're scaling at a point where we're going to be able to take good care of our customers. And if that means that we grow more slowly, that means we, we grow more slowly. But um, by growing more slowly, I think a lot of people, they only they don't see the downsides um, until they're everywhere of growing too quickly. And mm-hmm. I think that like building a community, building people who are passionate and just letting it grow over time is something that has been overlooked a lot of the times in this industry because you've had crazy amounts of capital poured in and then you have companies wasting money. You have companies growing too quickly and um, like really there's externalities to every decision that you make. If you're, if you're trying to push it too hard. I like it. Um, I actually do have, it's not really a gripe, but since you're looking for feedback um, and and maybe this is, Maybe this has been changed because I, I mentioned it a while back and uh, the, the business model of SAS is a little bit different than other people. You know, most uh, hosted miners just do a, like a flat electric rate, you know, and then like hosting fees or whatever. And then uh, so SAS has, at least compared to the stuff I looked at, a cheaper electric rate because <clears throat> if I remember right, you guys pay at cost. And then um, your business earnings is based on uh, how much Bitcoin is mined. And mm-hmm. the the gripe I have is the way that was worded in the beginning, or at least the way I understood it, um, the phrase, you don't make money, or we don't make money unless you make money. And mm-hmm. I understand where that phrase came from, but there there does lie a, a gray area when the price of Bitcoin is suppressed enough and the hash rate is high enough where 
the customer being me uh, could actually be underwater or just barely profitable. But then the, the I think it was 15% that SaaS takes um, actually puts you underwater. But then you guys went ahead and changed it from 15% to 5%. I don't know if there was a memo on that. I didn't get that memo. I just like, someone was actually talking about it in Telegram one day and I was like, well, what happened? What? So I was very, very happy about that. Um, I actually bought a couple more rigs the day after that happened because uh, I was pretty excited about it. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if there's a better way that that can be explained. Um, but the way the way I heard it the first time was that your profit is like we take a cut of your profit. So therefore, you know, I just assumed if I'm not in profit, then we're just waiting until it becomes profitable, which isn't really how it works. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm happy you br brought that up and you're a hundred percent correct. So for everyone who hasn't been following the company early on, we were saying that type of line where it's like, we only make money when you make money. And then I think one of the customers brought it up where they brought up the exact scenario you just mentioned. And we realized, wait, that is misleading. Like for example, if the price drops a ton mining for some reason with the cut becomes unprofitable, then that doesn't necessarily make sense. And so we changed the phrasing on that. And so now like what we've been saying to everyone is we we try to align the incentives with our customers. Okay. So like we have an incentive to try and maintain as high as uptime as possible because the more uptime that there is, the more Bitcoin generated, the more the money that like we'll make and the customers will make. Um, so that was a big fix. And I think that that was also part of the nature of just, um, you know, coming out with this so new and like we're moving quickly trying to, uh, you know, build the organization and it was like a hundred percent an oversight on our part when we said that. Um, also in regards to the switch from the 15 to 5%. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny that that change, I feel like we didn't market it like too much um, or it was definitely something we could have marketed more. Yeah. Um, but at, at the end of the day, one of the, well, there are a number of reasons that we made that decision, but one of them was just like, look, at the end of the day, like we want to make sure that the customers do well. And, you know, same thing from day one. It's like, we want to be customer focused. And we, we th like at the end of the day, a lot of things aren't zero sum when you're building a company, but like if there's only a certain amount of Bitcoin being generated, if we're taking a 15%, then the customer is only getting 85% versus us taking 5%, then the customer making 95% of all the rewards. And we just thought that that would be a better split. Um, and so then we, we decided to make that change. And, you know, our, our game plan here is it's not like that extra 10% is the goal of the company, really, like that little extra profit in this early facility. Like it, our goal is to make customers happy. And so like it, there are many reasons for that decision, but, uh, I think overall, especially from having all these customer interviews, I think it was the right the right choice to do. Yeah, it definitely made me happy. Is that is that five percent number here to stay, or is that is there still flexibility in that going forward based on conditions? Yeah, right now it's not like we've set in stone like it's going to be five percent forever. Uh, I think that there's there's going to be flexibility moving forward. At the end of the day, um, we'll we'll see where it continues to go. But uh, for the foreseeable future, right now we haven't like made a decision to change that 5% number. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. I, I like talking through the mechanics of the business. Uh, it, it's interesting too, because I feel like a lot of people, I'm not sure about you, but a, a lot of people outside of 
you know, the people where I work or interacting with people on Twitter or wherever, they're not really into uh, mining. And so these types of conversations are like the only ones that I really get to have with like people at SAS Mining. So it's interesting to be able to have one here on the podcast. Nice. Well, anytime you ever want to come back, we can definitely do it again. I love talking about this stuff. I, I still have a W-2 job, but I'm uh, I'm working on making my own, you know, life and uh, trying, to, trying to get rid of that, you know, working on uh, getting a, some real estate business going on. And so I'm always curious, you know, when I, when I get to talk to people like yourself, who started a business, uh, what kind of your thought process was getting into it. And, you know, I can, I can look up, you know, how to make an LLC and a C corporation and all that other stuff. You know, YouTube's great for all that stuff, but understanding like the why and the how, and like how you got from, you know, like you said, the guy who like didn't really have a very good knowledge of, you know, like how the network worked and, the you know, how, how money worked and all this other stuff um, to, to where you are now. It's, it's quite the journey. And I don't know, I, I like, it's one of like, my favorite like topics. That. Yeah. It's kind of, just going off of what we were talking about before. I feel like almost kind of like weird compared to a lot of my friends because my mind, I'm always just thinking about this stuff. And ever since I was a kid, I was just always obsessed with just like building things. Like I just think it's fun and my mind is just kind of drawn to it. And so, you know, I, for example, my sister, right? She's not, she never, she didn't go down the entrepreneur route. She was much more of the book smart. She would get straight A's. She went to a good school. She wants to go get a job. It's a very different path of, uh, you know, and neither path is necessarily better. Um, there are benefits of each, but mm-hmm. it's a very different path than going down like an entrepreneurial path. And um, yeah, I think that, the one thing going to the school system today that I think is a huge disservice to the kids who go through the school system is that you're not really doing what you're going to be doing and what you're going to be doing to make a living for so long. I mean, you're just kind of in this limbo stage for such a long time where it's like if you go out and actually start doing whatever you want to do, like you could be studying something your entire life and you go to the job and you all of a sudden are like, wait, I did well on the test, but I hate doing this. Right. It, it's, I, I think that especially when it comes to entrepreneurship, I would say that's mostly it's not for most people, which is something that I I've kind of changed over time as the more and more I've done it, the more I realize really a lot of people shouldn't do it um, versus what I used to think earlier on. But I think that whatever you do, like if you love it, you're going to, you're, you're going to be happy that you pursued whatever you love over anything else. Can I say real quick that I think another thing about Bitcoin that, doesn't get mentioned enough. And we talk about incentives and, and whatnot kind of in a general way, but entrepreneurs who are on a hard money standard are going to be, because let's be frank, most people who are starting a business who love what they do are great at that business, but they're usually not also great business people, if that makes sense. Like they're good at their 100%. product, they're good at their thing, but you know, if, if they wanted to be a lawyer or an MBA, they would have went and done that. Um, you know, they just want to make a product and they want to like do a service. And that's fine if you want to be in a place where you like own your own job and you're self-employed, but you own your own job. If you want to own a company or create a company where, you know, you're overseeing like you are, you're overseeing a company, you have people, I'm not saying you don't work, obviously you work, but you're, you're building something bigger than just you and a couple of miners in your garage. Um, that's hard for people to do, especially when you're stuck in a, in a monetary system that cuts your knees out from you every step of the way. So I love the idea of entrepreneurs getting on a hard money standard, obviously in this case, Bitcoin, um, and that enabling them 
to squirrel away their money as they're making profits and then not having to invest that in you know something like the S&P and and hope the market does well so that way they don't lose their wealth due to inflation they can put it in you know obviously it's still very volatile right now it's still in price discovery but they can put it in something like bitcoin and then that's going to retain its wealth and and then you know you can use that to grow your business and you're only going to invest back in your business into something that is growing in value faster than bitcoin is which you know at the end of the day at some point bitcoin's going to steady out um, you know, it's going to be a balance between how many humans and are alive and, you know, kind of GDP or whatever, and the price of Bitcoin that's probably decades away. Um, it, it's so funny that you bring this up. I've never said this. I, I actually, I don't think I've ever said this publicly. Oh, breaking um, news. I've done a lot of, I think this is breaking news, but in the, <laughs> uh, in the early days of SAS mining, and I was just doing this, not even thinking, but doing exactly what you just mentioned. I had like the all the money that I had in the business really, but I had like a small amount set aside that was like personal money, just like for living expenses that was all denominated in Bitcoin. And then I just cut my expenses down to pretty much nothing, like having my home base at home. So then like it was like the, the Bitcoin was accumulating. I had like literally zero expenses and then I was operating the business. And as like, obviously I was all in on the business, but this was kind of like the, okay, we got the game plan. This is how much we're doing, strategizing with this amount of money. But my Bitcoin side cash, that was just like emergency funds. If the business needed it last minute, kept growing because of the Bitcoin. So I was saving in that, um, that hard money standard in a way, um, or the Bitcoin standard with, with hard, hard money, sound money in Bitcoin. And it, it really benefited me. I think that, you know, if, if we didn't have, if I didn't take that type of approach, who knows like what would have happened to SAS mining in the very early days. Yeah. And I, I think something uh, people are quick to criticize Bitcoin for. My sister actually did about a year ago. We were talking about it. You know, I'm trying to orange pill everyone, including her. And uh, she was like, well, aren't just all the rich people going to buy all the Bitcoin. And then when it does what you say it's going to do, they're just going to be like uber mega rich. And okay, sure. People who get in early are going to get that first mover advantage and they're going to, they're going to, um, you know, profit exponentially compared to people who are late to the game. But even the last person to adopt Bitcoin is going to be better off than the, than the last person on fiat, right? Because fiat, I mean, by design is going down 2% a year, not, not currently it's way more than that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, what they say is they want your, the value of, of your money to go down by 2% a year. And, you know, if everything is, um, balanced and copacetic and, you know, all the all the coins have been mined and all that stuff. At a minimum, Bitcoin should retain its value. So you're automatically doing two percent better. That and you're the last person to get involved. You're not getting yeah. any of that any of that growth. Uh, and like when you think about the type of person who's willing to go into Bitcoin, it's not even if people find out about it, the people who get into Bitcoin earlier tend to be the people who are. Um, I mean, granted, this is from my own personal experience knowing Bitcoiners, but they just seem to to be the people that you'd want to have the money rather than the existing old guard. I mean, these are people who are innovative, forward thinking, willing to put their money where their values lie. And, you know, it's not like every single person who has money today is going to suddenly toss all their money into Bitcoin. But, you know, you might have someone who doesn't have a lot of money today, who's, you know, very aligned with their values, who sees opportunity, who understands the technology, who's forward thinking and is willing to build something, toss a lot larger of their net worth into Bitcoin. It's like, okay, yes, like, People get in early, make money, but 
at the end of the day, the people who build things make money too. And ideally you want people who are good builders, who are able to do a lot with the money to be the ones allocating the resources rather than, um, I guess that's a whole separate argument, but you kind of see what I'm saying in regards to, okay, well, when everyone has money, just buys it, buys Bitcoin. It's like, okay, well, yeah. And that's going to continue to happen over time. But if anything, it's going to make it easier for the upstarts and the innovators to have a larger foothold in building something in society. Absolutely. Are you, are you familiar with Jason Lowry? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. I've watched uh, a couple of his episodes on breed loves podcast. Okay. So I, I actually just got his book. It's up there. Um, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. It just came in the mail the day before yesterday, but he comes at it from a slightly different perspective. You obviously already know, you know, looking at it from nation state and, and uh, you know, national defense and, and the competition, you know, largely between us and China and blah, blah, blah. Um, but he, he makes a, a very strong point about how the soft war uh, will incentivize uh, more investment in infrastructure and quality of life and, you know, uh, uh, energy generation and all the things that make human life better. And I think that that is also true on the individual level for Bitcoiners. And we were talking about earlier that um, I think you said Trey messaged you privately with all these like cool ideas. And, you know, you see on Bitcoin Twitter and on Oster now and like all these different places, Bitcoiners are just out there trying to help each other do things. I mean, like Peter McCormick's a great example. He's doing all this great stuff just to try to like help the world wrap their head. I'm not just talking about his podcast. I'm talking about like other places he's putting his efforts. It's it's almost like every Bitcoiner is out there doing something, trying to. Obviously, everyone who owns Bitcoin has a financial incentive for Bitcoin to to succeed, right? There's no, there's no, that's obvious. But you were talking about earlier about like the group that you work with over at SAS that everyone's just so passionate about their job, and I suspect that it's because everyone who's taken the orange pill really views Bitcoin as something that's going to make the world a better place and, and promote equality and, and just like make everything better. Like, cause it's re-incentivized of everything. And there's that, it's not pure altruism, but there's that sense of altruism behind it that like, we all want to help each other because we all want the world to be a better place. And that doesn't really exist in the business world that we all grew up in because that world, at least from my perspective is much more of a, well, I got to eat mine so you can't eat yours. But that's not the way Bitcoin works. The more that we both succeed, the more that we both succeed. It's like an upward spiral instead of a downward spiral. And Jason Lowry talks about that really well from the nation state perspective, but I think it's true in the individual perspective as well. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And also from that pers- from the, it's interesting how Bitcoin brings the pol- politics into it, right? Because at the end of the day, I feel like almost any rational human being is going to say, okay, well, the, the terminology is just very different for a lot of people. Like everyone's like pushing for equality, but it's like, okay, are we look, looking at like quality of opportunity, equality of outcome? And then all of a sudden, like at the end of the day, what I think Bitcoin represents to a lot of people is it represents hope. And I think that around the world, um, especially from someone's perspective on, in the Western world, it's very difficult to understand the existence of someone in like a developing nation or a third world country that they can't even get a bank account or an mm-hmm. ID. I mean, uh, their entire family's generational life savings could be wiped out in a blink of an eye and there's nothing that you can do about it. I mean, these are real problems that we couldn't even begin to 
worry about in, in the US. I mean, the yeah. biggest problems that we have is like, okay, inflation seems pretty high. The government's saying that it's this, it seems a little higher. It's pretty bad. It's like, okay, that is not a problem compared to what people are experiencing in other parts of the world. And I think that Bitcoin is one of the strongest humanitarian tools that we have as a society. And every single person can, like whatever work that they're doing is playing into bringing about a more equal opportunity like world where it's not just the people who are in the Western world or, or un, b- born into a society where you have, you know, stronger private property rights or stronger um, opportunities. It's not like just people in those countries have them. It's like bringing that to a lot of other people around the world that couldn't even dream of it. Yeah. So I've had a hard time orange pilling people because I'm not really good at like meeting them where they're at always. It's a thing I'm working on. But uh, lately, what I've tried to start doing is not even talking about Bitcoin, asking that person what they care about. And, you know, I mentioned my sister earlier. Mm. I know one thing that she really cares about is you know women's rights and equality around the world. And one of you know the great things um, about how Bitcoin is being used right now is you know there's several Middle Eastern countries where women don't have rights. They can't spend money. They can't drive. They can't do you know all these different things. Uh, but they can Bitcoin, and they are. And there's like these networks of these women who like you know can't show their face or like can't go out in public without their husband's permission or whatever. But they have their own money that nobody can take, and that's something they've never had access to. You know, and then you have you know countries like Nigeria who have. I think Nigeria has the largest Bitcoin adoption per capita in the world, which is wild. If you look at what's going on in Nigeria right now, um, you know, and, and everyone thinks that, you know, oh, this is, it's a back country. People over there don't even have internet. Obviously they do. And they're changing their society because now they have access to a tool that people can't take from them. And it, mm-hmm. it really is. I, I'm really glad that you brought up the point about we are, we are very spoiled, you know, especially in this country, um, you know, Western culture in general, but definitely in the United States, you know, because of Bretton Woods and just, you know, having a stranglehold on the global economics through the dollar system for forever. And we're starting to see that deteriorate. And, you know, as it deteriorates, it's, it's going to get painful for a lot of people who don't find a better way. Um, but I'm really, really happy to see these countries and these individuals who have significant hurdles in front of them uh, use Bitcoin as a way to, to, to bring themselves up and, and make a difference for themselves. I love it. Yeah. So I'm assuming that a lot of the people who are listening know what Upwork is or Fiverr, like any of these freelance pl- platforms. So we were trying to uh, work with someone who lives in Nepal uh, for some video editing services. And the average wage there, I believe, is uh, is three something an hour. Um, we're, we're paying our guy much more than that, but, uh, just to put it into context of how weak the currency is. And then simultaneously, there are certain limits on the amount of us dollars that they're allowed to spend a year. And the one thing that I was surprised that I, I didn't know before being someone who works in Bitcoin, Bitcoin's completely illegal there. And you will get arrested if you are caught owning Bitcoin. I mean, just that alone. I mean, there are countries and places around the world where it's just your freedom is unbelievably limited. I mean, I think that going back to the going back to the incentive structure for Bitcoin adoption in nations, I think that as a nation, you can get ahead and there are a lot of benefits from adopting it. Granted, you know, there could be, there likely is a lot of pressure on countries for adopting Bitcoin and going on a Bitcoin standard. Uh, other countries obviously do not like that. But I think that 
it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out over time. But my prediction is that the dominoes are going to fall in favor of Bitcoin. I think that just over time, the incentive is too strong for people uh, or for countries in a world where there's so much money printing to not go and adopt the Bitcoin standard. It doesn't really make sense. I think that the dominoes are going to eventually fall. Uh, it's very hard to put a timeline on it. But I think that in, in the next bull run, we're going to see a, a wave, a wave of countries. And I think that that could be a big big leg in the next bull run. I wholeheartedly wholeheartedly agree. Not not only countries, but these mega corporations. I mean, like BlackRock recently just announced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that, that BlackRock is bigger than most countries. Like it's, it's insane. Oh, 100%. How large <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so, all right. We are, uh, we are buttoned up against an hour here and I know you got, you got things going on. So I won't. Keep yeah. You much oh, longer. thank you for reminding me that that flew by. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Uh, but do you have anything else for me? I, I know the whole point of this was, for you to get some feedback. I, I don't know if we, we covered everything you wanted to. Oh yeah. I mean, I can ask a couple of questions here. Let me just shoot a message real quick to the All person right, I'm meeting with. I'm going to go like a little bit over. Sorry. One second here. We'll get like 15 more minutes. All right. I appreciate it. All right. I should be good to go. Um, yeah. I mean, the only other things, I mean, are, are more so on the, like the feedback side for the product. So were there any things that, or actually here's, here's the question that I've been asking is, so, so first off, what, what were your initial expectations before using the product? So of course you'd seen everything about SAS mining online. You interacted with us on, on Twitter, or different areas. And what were your expectations before you had actually purchased the miner versus how did the product actually meet those expectations? Like, did it exceed them? Did it not like reach them? I, I've been asking all the customers that just to try and figure out. And then after that, I'm going to ask like your favorite and least favorite things about the product. Okay. Um, I, so I had never bought miners before, especially I had never really looked into remote hosted miners before I had looked into doing my own uh, just cause I want to support the network and, you know, I want to be a Bitcoiner, but you know, paying local electricity rates and having a loud, hot miner. <laughs> and I live in Las Vegas. I don't need any more heat here. Oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I ended up, you know, just deciding just purchasing, uh, was, was better for me. And, uh, then a bunch of companies started doing remote host hosting and I looked into a couple, um, but I ended up going with SAS because of, you know, your energy policies basically. And because I was a fan of Kent already. And, you know, I felt like, even though he didn't know me, I felt like, you know, I had a connection with him and I, I trusted his take and I had followed his, uh, his, um, like resume a little bit over the years. Uh, so I was just like, all right, this guy, this guy is a guy I think I can trust. Like if I'm going to roll the dice on some random company, might as well be with someone who at least I understand his point of view on life. Um, you know, I had to subscribe to his sub stack for a long time and, and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. He, he has a great sub stack. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, so I didn't really have any expectations for the product per se, uh, because I had never done it before. I actually thought it would be more difficult than it was because like I said, most of the research I had done had been about doing it myself. Um, you guys made it super easy. I literally just told you what I wanted. I paid for it. And then it, and then it just worked like that was like that, uh, which is really nice. I like the dashboard. I know it's still a work in, in progress. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that, uh, ROI chart coming soon. Um, 
I know, you know, with these rigs and with the price of Bitcoin right now, it's probably not going to be the best chart at the moment, but very excited for what it's going to look like uh, come that come that bull run. So um, I also really like your guys' policy on KYC. That wasn't really expected. Um, I do think uh, that that adds a layer of value that a lot of people don't consider when they're making this decision. Um, what else? Uh, that was a like, big one on the KYC side. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, when we set out to build it, we're like, what's the product that we would want as, as Bitcoiners? And we just thought that, you know, we're providing you, you some service to help run some rigs. Yeah. And we got a legal opinion and we got to figure it out. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, every, every company out there, they want, you know, all this information about you, social security number, mother's maiden name, all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, why do you need all that? And well, regulatory, blah, 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 whatever. I don't know. I don't know how all that works, but every day you hear about some company, you know, losing your information because they had some sort of internal data breach or whatever. And, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully that never happens to you guys, but if it does, all you guys have on me basically is a credit card number and you don't even have to have that if I don't want to give it to you. Right. Like I have all these options with you and I love it. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. I have, I have all the choices here. Uh, and I, and I appreciate that. Um, what else? Oh, I also like how easy it was. I mentioned to you that I had once, uh, I realized that your fee had significantly gone down. I went ahead and bought a couple more miners like the next day. It was literally like five clicks of a button. It was so easy to do. Um, and I know that the price of miners is going to be going up soon. So I, I might get a couple more. We'll see. Uh, I gotta, just got to beat the, I got to beat the train on that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like how easy it is. And I, you know, I know, I know the fellas are, uh, are working on, you know, making some changes to the dashboard and whatnot right now, but so far I'm pretty happy with it showing the payouts. I'm actually looking at it right now on my, my screen. Oh, I love it. Um, that was one thing that also, uh, I guess it shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did, but um, a lot of times when you hear about like different companies and things, they'll talk about like, you know, how often are people interacting with the app or how how often do people pull it up? And all the different customers I've been speaking with, they're like, oh yeah, it's always up. Like I always got like a tab for it or checking it every day. And um, it, it's really cool to just see that, you know, it, it, I don't know how to explain it. It sounds kind of corny to say, but you know, when like the, the stars align in a certain way or just you can feel that like things are on the right path. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this past week, I've been taking a lot of time to get to speak with them, a bunch of incredible, passionate people like yourself and some of the other people who um, are using the product. And not only have I learned a lot, um, just like I've learned quite a bit in this conversation here, but also just like it, there's just a special energy about it. And I don't know how to describe it any better than that, but it it's really fun to be a part of. Awesome. And I'm very appreciative for you, like, you know, taking, taking the leap and actually, you know, deciding to, to work with us on some, some hydropower mining rigs. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, what was the other question you had asked me? Um, yeah, just, I think you were touching on it, just like things that you liked about the product and then things that you'd like to see in the future. And you mentioned like one of the things that we've got in the works, which is the ROI dashboard. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, really we're just looking to talk to as many people, people are using the product and see, okay, are there any things that, you know, we haven't thought of, are we going or prioritizing the things that we're building and the order that is most optimal, you know, those types of things. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, nothing really comes to mind that I'm looking for in the future that you guys aren't already working on or haven't already addressed, except for, and I might be the only customer who feels this way. I would love to be able to come to the hydro facility or whatever facility you guys have in the future where I personally own a, a miner and just to like put eyes on it. Cause I'm, you know, a, a power nerd like that anyways. So I yeah. would, especially, you know, the hydro facility that you guys are at, how old it is and that that kind of stuff is exciting to me and i'd be able to go there and be like oh that's my rig and that's like i don't know i would i would enjoy that i know there's obviously complications with that but that'd be cool if you guys could ever set up something like that yeah you know so it's very not standard in the industry for that having happened like to do that but you know a lot of people have requested that and i feel like that's something that like people really care about would want to see and you know don't quote me on it it's just being floated around as an idea and things like that i mean things like um, one potentially having like like a video of the rig, or like two maybe even having like a day where there's a tour or something, and then yeah. we make sure that like there's security and all these things and a protocol, but then everyone can actually see things, and it's not um, and there's no security risk because like worst case, it's like if you have a ton of customers that are running in a facility, you, you never know what will happen if all of a sudden you set up a policy and then one bad actor takes advantage of it um, because of the economic incentive to do so. Yeah, so there's. That. It, I, I hate like all the restrictions that are normally involved with these things, but I I can also see the flip side of why they they have them, you know. All right, great. Well, I mean that's all I got. If that's all you got, yeah, dude, we're gonna have to do this again sometime though. This this was Love fun. You. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Maybe uh, I, I'm not sure like uh, how you normally schedule them out, but I mean, especially like whenever I do these check-ins with, with customers and speak with them, we could always do like some type of podcast along with it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Um, before you go, you want to give us the lowdown on what the next uh, Twitter space is going to be? Oh yeah. So, um, for everyone listening, I'm not sure if you follow our Twitter spaces, but SAS, on the SAS mining Twitter every Thursday at three thirty PM Eastern, we host an hour long conversation, uh, with a guest, you know, normally from Bitcoin mining or some other Bitcoiner in the industry, uh, we leave time for questions. And so if you actually want to ask us or the guest questions, you can jump in on those. Uh, we also have a SAS mining podcast. We've got the the rigs being sold at sasmining.com. And then uh, we've got the crowdfunding campaign. So if you want to own some equity in SAS mining before, uh, you know, before the campaign closes, you can check out all the details on the website there. All right, cool. Thank you yeah, for the I'll, reminder on absolutely. Me, I'll uh, I'll link the the crowdfunding campaign and the uh, the website. I'll uh, I'll drop my affiliate link in there, and uh, people want to click on it, they can. Awesome. Yeah, and I I got to get you the uh, the the Noster address. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. We'll uh, we'll end this here, and I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. All right. Cheers. All righty. Am I good to just exit?